You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. So again, welcome to this session, uh, Tech Talk. Um, primarily, it's about how do we prepare for the digital age, um, given what's taking place in and around us. Uh, the pace of technological, technological change is, is immense at the moment. I don't think we've even um, understood its absolute impact in the next five to ten years in terms of um, how we learn, how we consume, how we socialise, um, and how it will change both place and it will, how it will change both sense of community. Uh, it will also fundamentally change our industrial base in the next ten years, I imagine. Um, and so the question here is that how do we enable our education systems and processes to be adapted and shaped sufficiently to move us in the right direction so that we actually um, prepare and uh, are adapting to this scenario as opposed to sleepwalking into a nightmare where we will have huge skill shortages, we'll play catch up and most of our governments will say actually we should have done this differently and we'll put lots of money into initiative after the event rather than actually learning uh, from the past and thinking actually there's an absolute revolution taking place. There's an absolute revolution taking place in terms of how digital underscore our lives, our communities, our societies and our both our relationships at state level and, inter in, and internationally. And this is about how do, you, how do you actually enable generations to make the most of it? Uh, but underpinning that is that e the digital will be a driver of economic growth. Um, in a significant way, and we know in Europe it's a, it's a huge driver for economic growth, um, yet you have significant communities uh, at both ends of the spectrum, young people and older people, who are either digitally excluded or don't have the right skill set, uh, and that's people who are in their 18, you know, 18 to 25 year old, uh, 25, 28, and then people in their 50s to 70s. Um, that's only going to get worse if our systems actually don't adapt and change um, here and now. But what we do know is that um, in, the, in the Middle East and the Mediterranean region, the, the marketplace for digital is huge and significant. And that's why you know, you've got everyone prying their eyes on that marketplace. You know, the, the, I know from the research that you know, uh, nearly 89, 92% of people in each, in each part of that reason, region are accessing the internet are using 40% of their time to look for jobs or make, you know, make social connections, yet infrastructure in schools lags way behind that current use. Uh, and you can see what's happening across the region in terms of external investment in the area, from Google platforms through to commercial companies getting in there, uh, trying to support this new marketplace. And I suppose the question here is, how do we uh, think about um, how the two regions are able to connect with each other, enable each other to think through the impact on education as we look into the future. We have a range of speakers for you uh, for this, but, but it's a conversation um, for, for us to have around, the, around, this, around this table. So um, we have uh, Abdullah Ab Absi, is he here? No? Yeah. Yes, you are. Of course you are. I met you earlier. Uh, Julie, Julie Foulon, uh, Sana uh, and Andreas. Um, bringing some very, very different perspectives. So I'm going to start with you, um, Abdullah, if I may. It's not alphabetically geared, because if you, if, 
Um, you've kind of, we, we spoke about this earlier, you've made use of the technological advancement that are taking place through the work you've done. Say a little bit about what you, know, what you did but actually what you think the implications are for education when you think about your peer group and actually people behind you in terms of younger generations? So I'll, I'll bring some, just uh, some general context. Uh, so the Arab world has one of the highest un uh, youth unemployment rates in the world, uh, around 25% on average. Um, there are more than 80 million jobs that are needed by 2020, that's, that's a challenge. Um, it's a big challenge to create jobs given the digital age. I mean, even for people who are in the tech world, it's kind of challenging to stay on top of the trends. Like even for me, as someone who's coming from a digital background, uh, seeing up to AI and VR and all these kind of uh, hype um, is not as uh, easy. Uh, so to, 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 uh, to give some maybe um, information about myself and whatever, so I, um, I was studying computer science in university. On um, the second year, I dropped out. I was working on a startup back then. Um, and the reason why I did this, so I have a whole kind of uh, a very strong opinion on universities, mm -hmm. and this conversation is very uh, contextual to that. So um, what I feel is that universities are, uh, right now, uh, what they do is they're meant to help you kind of orient yourself on what you need to do in the future. Um, so you get to lose like three, four years of your life trying to actually specialize in something, but you're not actually doing that. What you're doing is getting to get a feel of uh, what is out there in, in, in life, and then as soon as you finish your degree, you then kind of need to start doing internships and, and get some really uh, tangible skills that um, allow you to get a job. <clears throat> um, in, the, in, in, in the digital age, so um, there are many different industries, and uh, I think it's, it's, uh, um, it's very important to kind of uh, specify which industries are we talking about. So there are fa fast-moving industries like um, um, high-tech, uh, software engineering, uh, business management, marketing, um, uh, fashion, design, etc. Those are things that are always changing. Uh, and there are all the other industries like agriculture and uh, oil and, uh, and stuff. Um, so in the, in the first set of industries, uh, what is happening is that whatever you learn in college is gonna become obsolete by the time you graduate. Um, most of the content that you actually study in college is already obsolete from the first place because the time they need to actually uh, advance those, um, this curricula takes a lot of time with those universities and, and developing new content. Um, so that is one challenge. And then you look at all the other industries, what's happening now, there's, there's a huge shift in digital transformation. Um, so I was mentioning er earlier in the morning that H&M, um, for example, they have $4 billion worth of unsold stock, and they just recently hired a full team of big data uh, analysts uh, to help them figure out what is happening. Like, wh why, why? B because that's money. That's $4 billion. It's not a small amount. Um, so speaking about, I'm going to be as brief as possible and, and let this conversation flow. So uh, what I think is for this... 21st century or the digital age, uh, the kind of skills that um, uh, people would need uh, at this point is, uh, so first, coding should be very important even at the, very, at the secondary school and even earlier. Um, 
uh, not necessarily for people to become coders or software engineers, but it's a way of thinking, it's a way of uh, looking at how things could actually transform with, with data, with, with uh, um, using electronic systems and so on. Um, then there's the ability of um, learning yourself. Um, um, a lot of people, like my peers and, and people I've, I've, I've met in college and school, um, one common thing I've, I see a lot is that the, the people who are um, uh, tech savvy and get to um, um, uh, get to know how to use uh, Google and, and, and know like know how to get their way through the web, uh, they're, they're able to learn much faster than those who are just very uh, kind of um, they're not very they just use Facebook, for example, or social media. Uh, so the ability to learn fast is very important um, and self-learn. Uh, another aspect is soft skills. Um, so the, uh, if someone is going into marketing or sales, it's not something that is fixed. You have to always kind of develop your skills and so on. And I think one, one major thing is uh, the ability also to, um, to change careers. Like someone who just went into college, they thought that they're gonna specialize in this thing but then uh, apparently that's not the thing they want to do. Or uh, they developed skills for the past five years in this particular field that's going to die maybe soon. Um, like what's happening with AI, for example, and um, customer service people and so on. Those kind of jobs are probably going to decline in the future. So people should have um, a part of education. They, they should have the ability to actually change their careers and, and look at how they can be more dynamic with their uh, career choices. Thank you for that. In terms of giving loop, so you kind of started this this thing, this entity out. Were you seeing many people in your peer group doing similar things in terms of startup activity in your area? Not really. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that the digital age means that we need to have uh, everyone to become entrepreneurs, okay. um, because that would require a different kind of uh, a mentality. The person has to have it. They should maybe also have some basic um, uh, their their basics in life should be covered before they're able to actually think properly and think creatively about new things. Um, so I'm not talking about entrepreneurship, I'm talking about in general that mm -hmm. uh, uh, if, if you wanna make sure that you're actually contributing to the future, you're productive in your future, then you need to have a pro uh, the educational uh, um, curricula have to um, let those students be more dynamic in their career choices. Mm -hmm. And your point is well made, because when I was looking at the research, that in the region, there's still a focus towards public sector jobs, that people are still thinking that the education system supplies people for the public sector rather than actually thinking through the implications of you know, jobs in the private sector or through tech jobs. And your other point about actually universities are not the sites through which to which to, which to make you employable, uh, especially in this current context. And that point about coding is really well made because not everyone needs to be a coder, but actually, isn't it phenomenal that people are so savvy in using an Apple or an iPad or a, a system, but they don't understand its infrastructure? And actually, it will become even more important in the future to understand the infrastructure, not necessarily to become the tech, but to understand what system is going to actually guide your life. Uh, and so that it's an element of transparency that it helps you uh, achieve greater accountability of how the system works. So thank you for the points you've just made. I want to, and I think we'll come back on some of the issues you've just raised, but I'm going to kind of go across the way to you, Julie. Um, and, you know, you, that point about skills and young people, obviously it would be good for people to understand what you've done in Modern Geek 
and the impact it's having both here, but I, you know, you've since we've last met, and you made it, you gave a talk over a year and a half ago. It's expanded even more, I gather. So good to hear from you. So thank you for the invi invitation. So for those who don't know, Molengeek is a tech incubator, but it's also a coding school, and we are based in Molenbeek, uh, not far from here. It's just 10 minutes drive. Uh, we started Molengeek uh, two years ago in 2016. The idea at the very beginning... Sorry, Julie, you might want to explain the, in the context of Molenbeek. Ah, of Molenbeek. Yes. Uh, so about the, the context is pretty, uh, uh, it's pretty difficult. Huh? Uh, you know, you, you got all the, 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 the attacks in in Paris, we still have the Islam, the the, the terrorists, and uh, these kind of things. Huh? It's uh, it's quite complicated, and actually, it comes back to uh, uh, 1995 with the first uh, riots in uh, in uh, in Molenbeek. But I didn't know I, at that time I was not there. I was uh, living in Paris because I'm French, and so with Ibrahim, who is not here today, so we uh, Ibrahim Wasari is from Molenbeek, and uh, for a little bit of a background, I'm more uh, the 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 tech, per tech person in Molengeek because I was uh, managing the, um, the, the the biggest tech community of Belgium, which was called uh, Beta Group at that time. And so uh, one day he called me and he said, I would like to organize an event uh, and to um, uh, to give accessible the new entrepreneurial tools in Molenbeek and just to test the neighborhood with the with the startup tech scene and to see if there is a, if there is a match because as you know in the in the tech community, the startup community, it's always the same kind of background. So people who did uh, higher studies coming from uh, uh, middle class, upper class, but there is no diversity in terms of gender diversity. It's like it's almost almost zero, and this um, the same thing for cultural diversity. And so we we did a, we organized the first event and then the second one and then straight after the second one we found out that the young people that were coming to Molengeek wanted to have a place to uh, to start working on their own projects entrepreneurial projects so we created a co-working space and then uh, straight away a lot of people came to 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 work on their on their on their businesses but they 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 were a lack of IT skills and then with Ibrahim we were like okay we have to 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 create a school. But the, the, the young people that were coming to Molengeek had no background. The, most of the time, they dropped out of school very early, around uh, 13, 14 years old, and they couldn't really project themselves into society. Uh, the, the, allez, they were just dreaming to become a bus driver or to have like jobs with uh, very low uh, added value. And so Ibrahim, uh, who, uh, who were in that case, because he dropped out of school when he was 13 years old, when he was 20, he bought a computer and he became a developer and then he became IT consultant and then he created uh, one, uh, his first company and then his second one and now he's got four companies. And so we said, okay, um, when we see that, we do believe that to become an entrepreneur is just a question of mindset and hard work. Same thing for uh, new technologies. Everybody can become a full-stack developer. It's just a question of motivation and hard work. And then we, in uh, in 2016, so we say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna launch our first coding school, open to all, completely free, and so on. And then we we've got three classes now, and it's uh, the re the results are just amazing because we've got 100 percent of positive exits. So at the end, within six months, we just transform 
and change the life of these young people. And they, 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 they are able to, to get a job, to get an internship, or to, um, to create their own, their own job by launching their own company. It's not like big companies, but it's selling websites and apps. You know, it's just the very beginning. So it's good and it's working. And now... It's a uh, lot, so we are open to all. But most, but m most of the young people are very are Belgium um, with uh, origin from Morocco. So, um, so that's most of the of the population. Well, it's part of the context, and it's and it's um, and it's uh, very interesting to see that most of them, they, they so they are victim of this discrimination. Uh, it's very difficult for them to get a job, and actually, uh, entrepreneurship and new technologies it's a way for them to, uh, to 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 create their own job, and for women to empower uh, women into into this world of opportunities. And I and I would like to to share with you the last statistics. Uh, for the fourth promotion, the next one, uh, on 20 uh, students, we've got eight women. So it's great, it's like 40%, because we found a way to create like a feminine role, mod role models, very accessible, and then uh, we've got like more and more women coming. And also we've got like a, a program, because we are expanding, so we started a project in, in Italy, but also in Morocco, and it's very interesting to see that. Um, in Morocco, we are based in, um, in L'Oriental, so it's uh, uh, it's the east of uh, Morocco, close to the Algerian border, and it's very interesting to see that uh, the young people there, so they are very uh, uh, very motivated. They, they've got like very strong IT skills. They want to launch their startups, but they don't look toward the US or Europe. They want to create their own job in Morocco, and it's always uh, projects with a sense and um, with a uh, yeah, with 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 with, with the sense and uh, always uh, um, about uh, circular economy and so on. So I just wanted to mention that as well. So and so why this part of Morocco is because most of the young people in Molenbeek, their family come come from there. So the idea is to uh, to straighten the the collaboration be between this part of Morocco and Brussels because there's no sense to do something in Marrakech or Casablanca. It's too far away and they never go there. Voilà. It's really good to hear about the uh, increase in women. Because I remember embarrassing Ibrahim last year when I was talking to him, and I said, what about women? Because, well, we're open to everybody. I said, no, please, brother. <laughs> what about the women? And so it's good to know that actually the, there's been such a significant increase. That's really good to know. And in terms of actually um, it becoming something that grows in Brussels itself, do you see it kind of expanding out of Molenbeek and becoming something much more available across a range of kind of disadvantaged or discriminated communities? But we actually we are expanding also in Brussels. Ah. The soon we we're, we're going to open a new center in um, in Scarbeck. So it won't be called the uh, Scargeek. Huh? Uh, <laughs> Just doesn't so, sound the same. No. Voilà. And um, so the idea is to create another Molenbeek on another topic, which is uh, new media. So it's uh, all about uh, the creation of uh, original content for um, in videos, uh, copywriting, this kind of things, but also post production because uh, in in Belgium. 
you go the tax shelter and uh, which uh, which uh, brings a lot of uh, opportunities for the for the movie makers and uh, the lot a lot of productions are are, are done in uh, in Belgium but they don't find uh, enough uh, technicians for the post productions so it's like another opportunity for young people um, to get a job and also through the videos and as you say young people are very consumers of mm. new technologies and not enough actors is also a way to target them and to bring them into this world of opportunities mm -hmm. and in terms of so, i mean i want to bring others in so okay you represent a response to i was mentioning earlier in the morning you represent a response to market failure because the education system uh, as a part of a market is failing people um, and therefore you're picking up the slack in a different way and you're motivating and engaging people in a different way. What is, what's the impact for education from what you're doing? Are you making inroads into schools? Yes, we, we've got like a program with, um, with schools uh, in the neighborhood of, uh, of Molenbeek. So we welcome students aged between 12 and 14 years old ah. uh, for one to two days in Molenbeek um, to discover uh, 3D printing, coding, um, also IoT. So it's also a way to just to open some small windows in their head. And then we said all the time that they are more, more than welcome if they want to come on uh, on the Wednesday uh, afternoon after school on the Saturday. Okay, thank you. Uh, yes, of course, as I was going to open it up before I ask the other two contributors. Uh, before any people got reaction to what they've heard or any particular views on the subject that we've that we're discussing. I have a question. Actually, can, can you? Negar Mortazavi. I am a journalist based in Washington. What are some of the projects? Can you give us some examples of what? Um, especially the women are doing the actual projects? And what is the age range of people? Alors, for the coding school, the age range is between 18 and 25 years old, so you need to be unemployed. It's um, this range only for the moment because the, the finance is only for it's only for that we're looking for a new way to finance and to open this range uh, for the for the women most of them uh, they are, so they they, became, they become like developers but they, they add also skills in design and photography and for the moment most of them they, they open a web agency regular web agency but we've got other interesting projects like um, uh, Khalid for instance uh, two years ago he was doing every Sunday the market so he was selling uh, fruits and vegetables in the market and he decided to, to become uh, 2.0 and now he's got his online platform where he sells uh, basket fruits to, uh, to companies in Brussels. Uh, we've got also um, uh, delivery um, cooperative by bicycle only. It's a cargo, uh, cargo bicycle uh, up to uh, 150 uh, kilos and they only delivers, delivers uh, eco goods uh, in, um, in, in Brussels. Uh, we've got all sorts. We've got also a, a guy uh, uh, develop an app. An app uh, it's called Quick Lyric, which has been downloaded more than one million times uh, all over the world. And it's, uh, in, it downloads instantly the lyrics of the music you are listening to. So, this can. so we've got like all sorts. But you have to realize also that uh, most of the young people that come to Molengeek, they because they drop out of school and they, they've got a lack of confidence, you have to come back to the very beginning when, when you talk about entrepreneurship. So what is a company? Why do I pay taxes? These kind of things. Because most of them, they don't know. So you have to, to be very uh, practical, to give them practical information. Otherwise, they, you, you see, fine. 
Alors, they come to us, and also we do like uh, we do like um, we've got like a communica communication campaign also uh, through uh, social networks and for the coding school with the partners like Bruxelles Formation, uh, Actiris, you know the unemployed uh, agencies in uh, in Belgium. Any other reactions or questions from what you've heard so far? From your own experiences, where you're coming from in terms of what, is there resonance for what you've heard or do you have alternative stories to tell about what's going on in terms of the education system and tech? Anyone? I'm looking at you. <laughs> can, you can you pass the mic around for me? Or we've got mics, actually, we've got a mic here. Uh, thank you. Um, when I look to the Netherlands, I think um, there's not happening enough when it comes to tech. Uh, so um, I don't want to uh, sound rude to people who are older than 50, but in the government is run by people who didn't know, who didn't grow up with email or social media. Uh, so also the educational department. So they are still focusing on all those uh, subjects from the middle age. So the, uh, you know everybody should speak uh, Dutch and English. And they know uh, they they need to know math, but they need to know also all the computer skills, and that's that's what that that's the thing that's not working, and it's what our educational department is not understanding. So what's what you see right now is that uh, computer skills are. I, I was a, a spokesperson on education for five years in Parliament. So what you see is that the the skills needed for for IT. Uh, the, the 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 parents the, 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 with with enough money they're buying these lessons. So you have a great story about Molenbeek, Molen Geek. It's a great name. Uh, uh, but what you see is it's extra curricular. So all the parents who can afford it are sending their kids to to coding class. So the, um, you see that there the, the the inequality is also rising in schools in the way what what kind of information are people did these kids are are, are getting in the, uh, i think that i think that's a big problem i think we need a shift in our education shift uh, system and i think two things one is the practical side uh just know how to code but also uh, an understanding i think uh, every, everybody should need a nine, read 9084 uh because it is, there are a lot of opportunities with this uh, new IT solutions, but they're all. But it's it's not for free. It's, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and I think we just need to understand also the philosophic side of it. So we need to understand more about the implications about artificial intelligence and the way it will inf in, in, in infect us. So. My other point of criticism is when there are lessons in, in IT and in the computer stuff, it's always very practical, but never about the questions, what does this mean for our way of living? Uh, what are the boundaries? How far can we go? Uh, Cambridge Analytics is just, you know, it, it's the tip of the iceberg. And um, I, I think there we needed, not only the, we don't, I don't think we, we do have all the answers right now for our children, but even in the schools we need a debate on the boundaries of uh, what's possible with uh, IT and artificial intelligence. And so, I mean, if let's say you win the election next time round and you become the leader, um, what would you do to the education system as a result? How would you change it to make it adaptable? Adapt uh, two things. Uh, first of all, the Netherlands will get a ministry with IT for just for IT. Uh, 
No, we don't have one. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> a second, uh, I, what I would do is uh, make sure it, when, when it comes to education, um, I have to say something about the context in, in the Netherlands. But, but first of all, make sure when you are 12 years old, you have to make a decision in which way you're going. So are you, do you want to be a physician or want to be in IT or, or, or arts? We have to skip this. We have to make sure only when you're 16 or something, then you can make a decision. Second, there's a, f there's a focus on uh, learning Dutch and maths. So a lot of kids are, are, uh, are not good enough in, in maths, but they're brilliant in France, uh, French or, or English or uh, other, other uh, ec economics, uh, but they can go to a higher grade. So we have to skip the focus on math and maths and Dutch, and we have to focus on digital skills. So uh, I, I would say that, that that are the two biggest changes I would make if I will make it as a prime minister. <laughs> okay, we'll hold you to that. You said that here today, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> as a politician, you should be accountable. Touche. <laughs> yeah. Okay, gentlemen, yes. okay. Yep. say who you are. Uh, well, I mean, education and tech, they can go closely together. Just to who you are, just to remind people. My name is Sami Horani from Jordan, and I run actually a portal for education. It's called Fursa.com, or Opportunity in, uh, in English. Mm. Basically, it's a portal that connects uh, young people in the Middle East and North Africa with valuable education opportunities to learn and develop themselves. That can extend from scholarships, which is more formal learning, to informal learning through competitions, awards, and other, other ways of learning. So what we're trying to do and what we have tried uh, to do in the past couple of years is basically leveling it up, equaling the play field for everyone by accessing all these educational opportunities. So basically trying to have a, an open platform and using technology to provide an equal access to, uh, to young people in the region, which was not the case where, you know, uh, technology bridged that gap. Uh, I mean, one of the other main important things is the e-classrooms, because one of the challenges in the education system in Jordan, for example, that the quality of education varies, whether in the, in the central or outside uh, Amman, the capital, to the other governorates in Jordan. So technology can bridge that gap. Can you, have, like, you can have like, more of like an, the e-learning or e-classroom where it can provide equal um, educational Uh, or, or learning experience for people outside uh, the capital. And, you know, we have been trying to do that uh, with a new minister right now, and uh, we might see it happening. So that's a great thing where technology can, uh, can improve education. I mean, artificial intelligence and technology in general and, techno and, and techni um, IT learning and coding is, is essential, but uh, the problem that what happens with the artificial intelligence and what we are worried about is to which extent, and here where the boundaries are, like to which extent we can push forward and in a way we're creating like competition we're 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 creating our competitor like a species that's going to compete with us is doing things better than us that maybe at some point is going to extinct us so you know you can just uh, but exactly but you know <laughs> but it's, it's it's becoming serious i mean guys did you see the google um uh, what they call the the google rob like they they do the phone call it's called google assistant I mean, it's scary. I mean, I think, I think, and somehow we human beings didn't have any competitor. Like when it comes to the to the to their existence, right now, the AI and robot, robots might be our own competitor. And if they do things better than us, maybe they will get rid of us. Thank you. Mm. Okay, I think that's a, that's a that's a big conversation to be had. Actually, let me, let me bring yourself in first, and then yourself. So here, I can give you my. Oh, thank you. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Bjorn, um, and I work a lot in kind of the intersection between uh, technology and policy. 
um, working a lot on kind of the ethical side and the et ethical issues of, of things like Cambridge Analytica, uh, which I, I worked a bit on a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and one of the things that I see is that we have a tendency to focus a lot on the tools. We have a tendency to focus on uh, artificial intelligence, on, on virtual reality, on, on all these weird acronyms. And uh, in coding schools, like we, we focus on language, we focus on you know teaching JavaScript or Python or whatever you're teaching, which is which is great. And and I owe a lot of my own kind of coding skills to the Dutch open source uh, community, which is a great thing that you guys should uh, hone more. Um, but but one of the things that we keep forgetting to a large extent when we focus so much on the on the technology is um, the social uh, side of it, and so I find it funny that you're you're mentioning 1984 and and we think about literature that is is, is quite old. Right, new world is you know more than a hundred years old of, of of science fiction that's kind of descriptive of how the world is going. And it boils down to kind of the fact that, that human beings are, are human beings and human beings are at the core of what these uh, technological advances uh, leads to. And so um, I think the technological debate and things like that needs to move beyond a discussion of tools. And so um, that needs to go into the curriculums in educational institutions. Uh, again, as you say, people people are bad at maths occasionally. Uh, I was one of the people who were really bad at maths, but I, I know how computers work and I can use computers to do maths for me. So why the hell would I you know learn maths? Um, although they are, they are interconnected. And so I think it's about also learning how to evolve and learning how to learn and learning how um, to think about how that impacts society and how it impacts human beings. And at the end of the day, it boils down to human beings and how human beings interact with each other. And, and, and we need to be mindful of the human interactions as we advance beyond just uh, looking at you know, the, the next scary thing, which is, is artificial intelligence right now, uh, which next year is going to be something else, right? So, yeah. Yeah, um, if it's so, yeah, Ayman Mahanna from Lebanon, if it's so difficult to introduce the changes to the education system in Europe, I mean, if Netherlands needs Yesa to become to do this, imagine how even more difficult it is in the south of the Mediterranean, sure. where the education system is still extremely based on rote learning, where the education sector is oversized in terms of numbers of teachers, of underpaid teachers. And trying to reform that machine will be a problem. And if it doesn't work, imagine the security implications of creating yet a wider level of inequality between the two sides of the Mediterranean and all the implications that we can imagine. So with this in mind, I, uh, what I find fascinating about this network is the ability to come up with ideas and request support. And that's what I'm doing right now um, <laughs> at three levels of education. Because we can say, OK, we can do nothing. It's a lost cause. There are three issues. First of all, at the level of school, if we start with something as basic as media and information literacy and digital hygiene, which can be taught to young kids, and if we go to real numbers, a study by the Center for International Media Assistance at the National Endowment for Democracy, end of 2016, showed that media development in general only is $50 million a year, out of which 0.6% only go to media and information literacy. So we can speak as much as we want about all these things, but in order to train teachers, in order to integrate in curricula media and information literacy programs, we need a little bit more than 0.6% of 50 million. 
and this is a global budget. So there is definitely things related to good ideas to integrate in the curriculum with little money or how to lobby together for more money. That's the first level. The second level is with techies who are doing great things and developing great stuff, especially now with, if, if we just think about smart objects and Internet of Things. Today, we are heading towards the same thing that happened with electrical appliances and food safety. We will wait for the huge fire that will destroy, that destroyed cities in order to change how electric plugs work or for huge food safety scandal to change how it worked. Unfortunately, with all the great developments, the idea of safety by design is still very far from the developments of Internet of Things. The, we have uh, TV, smart TV, that can actually be the conduit through which the worst intrusions of attacks, online attacks, can happen. There isn't enough work on this, so this is yet an, a, a second element that we need to work on when it comes to education. And the third, and this is my personal quest because I've already started this, is how to explain not to the people in the executive branch of government who have advisors, but the judiciary and legislative, that there are things happening. And the clear example right now, one of my close friends has developed the first system to move Dubai and then Detroit towards uh, automated cars. So basically working, it's a system that allows cars to interact at intersections to avoid collisions. Simple, Dubai has it now, Detroit has it. You know he tested it on roads in Lebanon with no regulation whatsoever. <laughs> in case of problem, what kind of liability judges would have had to decide without any text that explains anything about it? And so on and so forth. There is right now discussions about following people's social media through big data to know what we eat based on our Instagram pictures and how fast we get from point A to point B in the car through GPS. Therefore, insurance companies know what, how to change their premium based on our lifestyle. There is no law related to insurance that explains that this is how you make the calculation. Lawyers, sorry, uh, um, lawmakers, members of parliament, have no clue. Judges have no clue. And they will have to decide on these things not in 10 years, no. next month. Yes. So what I'm personally involved in right now, without being neither a techie nor uh, a lawyer, but actually involved in politics, is to play the role of a simultaneous interpreter of the discussions <laughs> happening here, happening in tech formats, with local politicians. And I'd love to partner with as many people here with all the experiences that exist in order to turn this work into reality from a professional perspective because the need is tomorrow, not in five years. Absolutely, well, well said. I suppose the issue is that um, your point about education is, is a significant one because you know everything that tells us about the region is that it is just not geared up for a new world, let alone the current world. It still operates in a very dated fashion. Um, but the reality is, you know that multinationals <clears throat> are eyeing up the region because everyone's got a mobile phone, everyone's using the internet. 5G is coming into parts of the region too, already introduced, and Google has relaunched its own education platform, which will just go, it'll probably undercut education provision in the region massively, because its platform is free. And Google knows what it's doing, because it's a huge marketplace for them. So I suppose the dilemma is that politicians are either going to be sidelined by international com companies, um, or something has to happen and give at a leadership level, young leadership level, to be able to deal with that dynamic. And it's, it begs the question about, you have the intercultural exchange between Europe and the region, but how do you get the exchange in terms of education infrastructure and support, either through development grants or others, to actually upscale 
and prepare the region for a Something needs to happen here, Rompua Schumann. Specifically, let DG Connect speak with DG Near. I know it's huge. DG Education speak with DG Near. Mm. And Unfortunately, it's so siloed and segmented over there, even within the engineer or, or DEFCO, that it's a real issue. There are amazing things done by DigiConnect on these liability issues I was talking about. I mean, just have a way to spread their knowledge to your colleagues in the commission so that the others can also work with the developing countries. Yeah, but also, I think it begs the question about how do you use this network yeah. that has the sponsorship of the EAS? You know, that yeah. point you make, that actually, if the education system doesn't actually uh, buck the trend, the whole issue of security and the communities that are furthest away without a stake turning to terror or, or a violence will be increased. We know that. He's coming to Lebanon in a couple of weeks. If we can arrange a couple of meetings for him to talk about what, she, what he just did with people who might listen within the system, that would be one way of using the network, and we'll expand it later. Ah, good. That's good to know. My uh, agenda is made. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. Um, no, but it's, it's, it's about these kind of things, it's these, these conversations that matter. And actually, there is that point. You're absolutely right. That as you look ahead, you do need, you know, you do need the policy agenda of DG Near and DG Connect to absolutely align and think creatively about the future and what's happening in our doorstep right now, rather than simply kind of furrowing their own plough in, in a particular silo. Sana, I'm going to come to you now, uh, if I may, um, but there's a mic coming your way. <clears throat> So, you know, you've, got, you've done the, the initiative, you're founder of the initiative, you know, Arab Women in Computing. You've done a number of things uh, in relation to, uh, you know, the, I love the idea of a hackathon for social good. Tell us about that in terms of what, given what you've done, right, from your perspective, what do you, ha, are you, A, are you, com, do you feel, oh, that's the wrong question, not to say you're confident, but do you think there are any green, green shoots that you can point to about how education systems are changing? at all to adapt to this new context? Um, thank you for, all, for having me. Um, first, I, I just uh, want to say a little bit in terms of the context. So I'm, a, I'm Palestinian, but I'm a professor of computer science at NYU New York. And seven years ago, NYU New York opened the university in Abu Dhabi. And I went there to set up the computer science department. And um, yeah, it was um, nerve wracking. I didn't know if I'm going to be able to manage to set up the department, but then when I got there, I was, um, I started, because we're an American university, but I wanted to be part of the region and to have collaborations, but also I wanted our students to be, especially in computer science, because of the whole uh, energy around computer science and entrepreneurship and to be, so I was, uh, because in New York, you know, you can, the students, uh, after second year, they start their own company, and I was just worried about the students not having access to that sort of energy. And so I went around, and I was talking to people in the region, and I was meeting very smart people, and uh, one of them is Abdullah, of course. <laughs> and uh, lots of energy. I was actually inspired by the energy in the air world, so I want to talk about the positive of, uh, of my experience. And uh, one of the things that really inspired me and what motivated me to do the things that I did is that the number of women in computer science and science in the Arab world are actually the women are the majority of the field, which is very different than in Europe mm. and the US. Mm. So that was very inspiring for me. And I was the first one to really start to talk about that. And I had the first conference. And, you know, and the statistics, you look at the statistics, there are none. And also, if you do some, you see recycling, recycled statistics where they're always talking about the Arab world, like they're lower in the market, the women are, you know, um, 
uh, they can't drive. So you have all the stereotypes, all the negative images, but nobody, you don't really have that statistics and you don't find it anywhere. And so I started actually, I researched with seven collaborators. We're still collecting data, but it confirms that actually uh, most of the Arab uh, uh, world, at, at least 15 countries we're looking at, and it confirms the majority. Lebanon is, has the lowest, but, in, but it's still 35, I mean, 25 to 35%, which is in the US, it's average 15%. Mm -hmm. So it's still really high, but you have other countries, which is basically 50 to 60, like in Palestine, all the universities in Palestine, the women are in computer engineering, computer science. In Saudi Arabia, it's 60, in the UAE, 70%. But you also have um, uh, some countries, especially in the Gulf, they're really interested in women and they do support it. For example, you have the youngest, Minister of Youth in the UAE, who is our graduate from NYU Abu Dhabi, uh, Shaima Mazrui, and she's 22 years old. And she, her ministry, the youth ministry, two thirds of them are women. So when I go and talk to her, she's always saying how always the press, when they talk to her, they always ask about the women. She said it's becoming really boring for us because it's actually the men that are being held behind actually now because the women are especially in the Gulf areas because they're getting a lot of advantages and they're taking advantages and some of them have monies and now investing in companies. So there is also an, an, an incubators and, and that's the other thing. I mean, I, when I came from the US to the Arab world, I expected, because Silicon Valley is so sexist and, and misogynistic and, and it's really computer science is very geeky, but it's also very fundamentally, you know, there's a lot of hatred of women. I mean, I have to say that it's, ve it's a very difficult world to be in computer science in the US. Going to the Arab world, and I was in Lebanon for Arab Net Conference, I was so impressed because it's like, you see men and women dressed greatly and they're, you know, it's like you feel like it's a fashion show rather than a technical event. So it's, it's a... It, so it's, the techies dress better, look better. Well, I think it's a social... It's a rather social, than the cultural or the environmental it, or I think it, it's really important... <laughs> no, no. But but what I want to see is just like a social interaction and mm. equal social interaction with the women leading companies. I mean, you have little bit where in in the U.S. Um, she's Aya. She's leading basically the industry, creating electronics, um, and she partnered with Star Wars to allow the kids to be able to create electronics. And she's Lebanese, and we have uh, many companies now led by women from the Arab world. It's just saying something. That's just one of the mm. factor a positive thing. But I'm going to go to the education. Mm. And, and the education, we're talking about coding, which is I have something as a computer science and something to do, something to say that we are actually taking computer science and then we're giving it the, domin the, the lowest dominant uh, factor because what we need talking about AI, talking about data science, analytics, talking about privacy, security, we need very well-educated people. I mean, because AI is going to take all the repetitive jobs, all the boring jobs, all the you know, law skill, they're going to be obsolete. So you can train as much as, much as you can, but that's going to change. Just like the HTML and people thought that we'll do a little bit of JavaScript, a little bit of HTML, and they're going to be, you know, computer scientists. It doesn't, that doesn't help. What we need is really innovative people, creative people that know how to construct and deconstruct knowledge, not from the, from the lower perspective, from the top perspective. We're talking about knowledge. We're talking about the bridge of computer science and other humanity skills, the ability to read and, and understand philosophy and, and social critic privacy and security, but also know how to, not everybody has to do that, but you have to be able to produce intelligent uh, pieces that will be able to produce hopefully ethical 
and, and um, social good in a way, uh, intelligence. You know, talk about <coughs> drones, right? I mean, we cannot be, um, you know, talk, sitting here without mentioning how basically all of that can be used also for military purposes, for destruction and so on. So we have, to, we have to have legislative in, in terms of uh, saying that we only can produce intelligence for good and not for anything that can be uh, used against us or so on. I, I'm not worried about the machines. I think it's a hype. We're still far away from that. I think it's a way to scare us. I think the media is doing a horrible job in terms of really talking about AI. I'm not saying that the risks are not there, but I think that there is also, it's like we're doing the Hollywood sort of, you know, um, sensationalizing the media rather than focusing on education, saying that we really need to have bright minds to focus and create and, and, and to do this. But going back to why I started to do the initiative that I did is because uh, so I did see that there were energy around um, entrepreneurship and young people and especially women are really uh, are leaders in this field. But the problem is, is when they leave, they're not hired. There aren't jobs um, and they're not hired for discrimination reasons, just like in the U.S. in other places because they want to give this to a man who they think, oh, you know, the woman is going to get married, have kids and so on. So it's, it's really terrible and the women sit around. And actually also the young men also who are very talented, there are just in, in, in there aren't enough jobs in technology to, and the government is not doing anything to 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 grow this sector. So then people wait without internship, and if you wait a little bit, you know, even if two months, you're out of date. So you need to have those sort of practical initiatives to involve people uh, in a concrete skills. And so that's why I thought that we, I should do something. And I started the International Hackathon for Social Good, which was actually the first event in the world for social good in any university. Um, and I bring people from all over the world, from MIT, from Harvard, from Sri Lanka, from India. For, so that is, they're nominated by um, their top of, I mean, nominated by their, the chair of the department or professors. And uh, so I have 150 people. And then I bring scientists uh, working on AI. Um, working on data science, machine learning, NLP, national language processing, and uh, security privacy. We bring people that are from uh, uh, NGOs working on refugee issues, like the director of NH um, uh, UNHCR. We bring, so it's, it's a basically a venture between uh, people who are working on um, incubation, um, investors, and really the top students from the world. And they sit together for four days, and they start from the ideas where what are the problems in the Arab world, and especially they bring it from their communities, and how to work on it and produce uh, technology to solve the problem. So we produce apps that have been used in, for refugees in, um, in Amman and Lebanon. Uh, people start their own companies. And now one of the more successful security companies, they have 35 million, is uh, two students that met at the, at the hackathon from Morocco and one from NYU Abu Dhabi one from Morocco, and they have now the top security company, the Vol um, uh, 8. And th there are many, many other examples. Um, and then the other thing is that I did five conferences about Arab women computing, because it's an important topic to talk about enrollment, representation, to talk about research, because there aren't um, really in-depth research, computer science research in the region. So it's around women, but it's also about uh, research. So we have, we give awards, we do NLP, we do data science, we do um, workshops in, 
um, in security, in artificial intelligence, in mobile. So it's very serious, but we also, we did, for example, the last conference that we did in August in Lebanon, we had 600 people. We did, uh, uh, we trained uh, girls from refugee camps in Lebanon, from Palestinian senior refugee camps. We had about 300 girls and we taught them mobile application in a few days. That was really a great thing for me to work with these girls and to see people working together. And actually the, the girls um, did apps. They walked away with apps. So they started from the idea to the apps. Um, so, and the next conference is going to be in Morocco, March 7 to 9, so you're welcome, you're all, uh, but we have about 17 chapters, we have about 6,000 Arab women, uh, and also what's good about this is I was able through my connection to connect it to, to the Computer Science uh, Association, so we have about 20 women also, we give scholarship to, to go to conferences. Um, we, we are on the main conference of the, um, uh, basically the largest women in computing in the world, the Grace Hopper Conference. They give us uh, um, panels and conferences and so on. So we've really well known now and we attracted mm -hmm. also diaspora Arab women, skilled women, mm -hmm. and we bring the entire ecosystem with us. So we do the conference, basically the entire, um, you know, from ArabNet to WAMDA to all of them, and they're very supportive. So that's really something that's really good. It sounds really all good. too good to be true. <laughs> it's true. It's great. And no, it's, it's without great. a lot of money also. So it's all about the money question actually. Who's funding this? Well, nobody uh, up till now. It's basically all of us are volunteers. Right. And people are, in the 17 chapters actually, they um, they do hackathons now and they do events like we're, we're uh, partnering with uh, Stanford to do data science events uh, throughout. But basically, like when we did the conference, we had to, in, in Lebanon last year, the, because I all the conferences before I got it from NYU Abu Dhabi, I was funded. I was going to say if the NYU is yes. subsidizing this, basically. It's subsidizing this, but now we're moving to different countries because otherwise it's going to be very small. It's 150, yeah. but when we opened it up to Lebanon, we had to fundraise like $100,000. So we had to go to banks and other people. But right now, what I'm looking for, which is, um, you know, I'm a professor, so it's sort of like all of this added to me just because, you know, I see the need for that. So I'm trying to fundraise to hire people. So that's where I'm at. But of course, I'm not good at doing at any of this stuff. So if you have any um, helpful tips, please let me know. Because it's hard for me to leave it. But at the same time, sure. it's very, it's it's hard. But to it goes continue. back to the point made earlier, that the point I was making earlier is actually it's people from out with the region that are subsidizing this. You come into the region, right. do this. Initially, it's subsidized through the university, but actually the infrastructure that's required from it's not being invested from governments in the local area. No. And that's the thing that needs to clearly right. change, that mindset needs to change. Right. But, but w one good story that happened actually in Palestine, for example, that some of the people are involved, like they just introduced the Technoversion Challenge, which is something that started in the US, where they teach kids, uh, it's a competition, where they teach kids actually to build mobile application. So now they introduced it in the school. So they started it by these women that are part of this initiative. And now, and, and they saw the government that they saw that it's successful. So now they introduced it in the schools and now they're going to be about you know seven or ten teams going from Palestine to participate in the competition in the international competition so that's something really good but it's of course the governments are lacking behind in many ways and I think it has to be a partnership a partnership between the government between the private industry between the education and there has to be many level but I hope that we don't get stuck in, on coding because to me coding is really not the answer Coding is really a very low level skills. And I 
again, the AI is going to take all these low-level skills. It's about, you know, computer science, it's, 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 it's solving very difficult problems. It's a science. So let's not, you know, we need skilled uh, workers that know how to do all the STEM. So just like reading and writing, we need really people to push people to learn math. And, and I think the reason for that is because we don't encourage people. We, don't, we tell people, like, for example, writing is very difficult, but we never say to people, you can get away without not writing well, right? But we do tell people, especially girls in Europe and in the US, that you don't have to be a good to know math or to know computer science, even though sometimes they're leaning into it. And I think that's really a big mistake for official and everybody. We need our kids to know how to science as well. It's a language. And that's mm -hmm. the future. Millions of the job is going to have computer science. If you want to innovate, if you want to solve, especially for women and, and minorities, if you want to okay. solve anything has to do into the future and, and, and innovate, you need to be able to understand and apply it to your problem. Otherwise, it's not going to be solved. Your priority has to be, if you want to innovate, you, know, you need to understand science and you need to understand computer science, but also the, the cusp of computer science and science and the arts as well. How is the student going to be critical and know how to, the ethics, for example, that we're talking about, how do we know where innovation is going and how we need to have an interest interdisciplinary approach and have a self-learner develop critical thinking and develop a science as much as liberal arts to conversion together. But I don't think that we should focus on coding and not science. STEM is a must yeah. and people have to pursue that. Absolutely. But that, re that, that really does require a, a fundamental rethinking of how education yeah. is conceived. Because what you're talking about is a, a much the more future. enlightened approach to education to face the new century that we're in. And we can't even get the current system to work. But that's not to kind of denigrate what you're saying, actually, at all. It's just to kind of think about the step that needs to be taken. And I suppose for me is that it's, it's just, there's a model you describe. So one of the questions we had in here was, are there successful or effective models that you can replicate? And it sounds like what you're doing through the hackathon, but also the you know, Arab women in, in tech, that there's something that actually has the potential to be replicated across the region, but also to benefit Europe, actually, in, in different the ways. US. And the US, absolutely. Right. You could see that connection. Uh, and it's about how do you get someone, what you need is a, you know, a venture capitalist behind you, I think, um, uh, who could see the opportunity. It's not participation. I'm talking about different things. Enrollment. I'm talking about enrollment of women in computer science in undergrads yeah. is the much and actually in science. Like so, we we were able to find to go into the Oxford data and collect the data from all over the world. And there were two countries, UAE and Egypt, and they were. And we constructed this this graph, and I couldn't believe that I've never seen anything like this. And you always see all over the world the science is coming from the Oxford data, and you never see this. So it was the UAE, Egypt, China leading women in science, and then the rest of the world. And and so so in science in general in the Arab world, uh, women are drifting toward it, even though it's the hardest sciences, right? But the problem is when they graduate, they're not hired. And then the other thing is actually I have to say it's hard. The job market is hard for the youth because also I work in the hackathon, which is my focus also the youth. So I bring the men and the women, and I see they're very talented, and people are so eager 
to do something out of their life. I mean, they're bright. I have to go back to the education. And I have to say that because people are good in that I work with in the hackathon in, in, ma in math and science, when you bring somebody from IT, and, and I had a discussion somebody, because I just had the hackathon, and I had somebody from Princeton working with other people, and he said to me, I just have to tell you, I did 30 hackathons in Pr Princeton, but I was really challenged by this hackathon. He was working with somebody from Lebanon, um, Morocco and, uh, and Palestine. He said, I really learned so much from them. And I thought I knew a lot, but I actually didn't. And I think those students are good because also the, the education in a way is bad uh, in a, on a lot of level. But for science, it really focuses on the core math and, and the core mathematical. <coughs> Our education, like in Lebanon, for example, it's a great, you know, it's a traditional education. But it really, it, when it comes to the science, you have the basis, you cover the phases. What we don't have is the application they apply. Okay. And that can easily be be sure. be sure. be replicated. So the 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 core stuff is there, but the hard the okay. easier stuff has to be Sure. Cuz I, I really want to I want to inv invite Andreas from the OECD because we've had this conversation at one level about the kind of ecology, but that actually I want to move to the institutional infrastructure that sits around economic development and how countries share. Uh, but if your comment is very brief both of you, I'm happy to take it. Yeah. Right. So my very brief comment is just that you mentioned in the introduction this morning um, the age of enlightenment and, and kind of the wish to recreate an age of enlightenment. And we're speaking about STEM here specifically to a large extent. But one of the fundamental factors that made the age of enlightenment what it was, uh, was essentially polymaths, people who had uh, backgrounds from, from a vast variety of fields from both the humanities and from STEM. And if you look at uh, the great philosophers and, and the great artists and the great people who, who kind of pushed the age of enlightenment were, were a multifaceted people who had a background both, both in, in, well, what you could call STEM uh, or, and what has led to STEM through kind of alchemy and all, you know, Da, Vin da Vinci's uh, inventions of, of airplanes and whatnot, uh, which is pretty cool, um, but also art, right? So uh, I think there is this kind of mix of, of soft skills of, of art and of humanities and STEM that needs to re-merge because we have had now a long period of specialization, um, which has led people to kind of down the rabbit holes of each their fields and we lack communication between those fields and the ability to, to gather those fields again. And so I think you know uh, a good step would be to focus more on that in educational institutions. I just wanted to add Iran in your poll. It's very similar. You talk about the Arab world. The enrollment and the level of education for women is completely, but then when you look at the job market, it's very disproportionate. And I know, math and was a woman. The highest math prize in the world was won by, by an Iranian woman. And that wasn't a, an ins, yeah, an, a coincidence. No, absolutely. Andres. Yeah, actually, at the OECD, we test sort of digital skills. And what we find is that, you know, you look at all the generations, you find few who are prepared for the world today. But if you find, look at among younger people, you still have, even in the industrial world, only about every second who sort of fit for the flat world. As a consumer, not even to think about coding. When you ask yourself what the uh, sort of the bottlenecks are, it's actually a lot less about technical skills. 
then about the underlying cognitive, social, and emotional skills. You know, can you think creatively? Can you sort of anticipate new developments? This is where the real bottlenecks are, and you'll be surprised, you know. You can look, you know, in a country like the United States, you have two-thirds of middle-grade students who cannot distinguish a sponsored ad from a news text. And the literacy of today is about that. It's not about extracting prefabricated information that somebody else has written. It's about co-constructing knowledge. You know, can you actually work with other people, people who think differently from you? Can you actually connect the dots where the next idea is going to come from? If you look around the world, actually, there are very few countries where you can say education is preparing for that world. One is clearly China. You look at Shanghai in China, you can see the poorest kids in the poorest neighborhoods better prepared than many in Europe in those kinds of terms. No? They can you know, think like a mathematician. They can think like a scientist. They don't learn all these formulas and equations. They can think like a philosopher. You can give them complex tasks and tasks that they've never seen before, and they can actually manage those kinds of things. And sort of, when I hear, I, I sort of agree with this idea that you know, coding is a very important skill today, but uh, we risk if we put the, push this you know, again onto schools that we do exactly what we have done with math and science in history that we end up educating students for our past and for their future. I think it's going to be really, really hard to, to think about the kind of education that um, will equip young people. And uh, again, you know, in, in one way, I think the great part of artificial intelligence is that it actually pushes us to think a lot harder what it means to be human. You know, how do we pair the artificial intelligence of computers with the kind of human qualities that are going to allow, uh, allow us to leverage that potential? And I think this is what we should expect from a modern uh, school and education system. The technologies of the day people are going to pick up. The hardest part also is not, you know, our capacity to learn throughout life is going to be critical. You know, things will change, and you you only young once, and then you know you have to keep you know growing and and developing. And the hardest thing today is not to learn things. The hardest thing is actually to unlearn what you have learned and to relearn when the context changes. And people who are, don't have the capacity and the willingness to do that actually face a very hard time. We see that today. You know, try to you know redevelop it truck driver who loses their job into a kind of software engineer, and that's where the difficulties arise. I think our kind of systems don't have the capacity. And I must say from the data that we have, this is where the Middle East is really badly positioned. When you look at actually education in that region is very much about reproducing prefabricated knowledge. Most assessments are based about, you know. And actually, when you look why do those countries perform so poorly on the OECD PISA test, it's not because students don't go to school for long days. Actually, the school days are much longer in the, some of the countries in the Middle East than in, in Europe or in North America or China. It is because the school days are filled with the accumulation of dead knowledge and the capacity of students to sort of use what they know to extrapolate from more to, you know, today what you need to learn is how to not learn the wisdom of our times, but to question the wisdom of our times. And, mm. and I think really in, in that sense, I think, the, the world region that is really on the fast track there is, is Asia. You know, look Indeed. at countries like Singapore, China, they've got that message. Uh, maybe not on the ethical front. I think there are good questions around this. But when you think about you know, the creative skills, the critical thinking skills, the kind of even social skills, mm -hmm. countries like Japan, China are doing so much better to equip people to work with others, to think across the boundaries of uh, subject matter disciplines. But I think we have a hard, hard time here. Given that, uh, Andres, 
you're the OECD, right? So you're about cooperation and economic growth and development. Mm. Um, the region, as I said, has it's a huge marketplace digitally. Yeah. I mean, there isn't a you know uh, there isn't a consultancy firm uh, either from McKinsey, Accenture, or others are not currently in there thinking about the future market penetration that that region, the, the whole region represents. And you have that in terms of consumption and the access to smartphones and computers that the, the communities are using. And on the other hand, an education system that feels middle-aged. And so what is the OECD? Does the OECD have competence or um, any responsibility or any strategy to deal with that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, there are two things. One is, you know, uh, reforming the education system. That's the long haul. But there are also many bypasses. Mm. I think there are many kind of what, what our work is about is to be develop, you know, digital learning is a great kind of future for many. But again, you know, you look to China and Japan where the big markets for this are. Today, you know, why would you learn from a textbook that was printed two years ago and maybe designed ten years ago when you can have access to the most advanced knowledge, you know? Yeah. Mm. Uh, digital learning system, virtual laboratories. So you can actually, we, we live in the time where every student can have access to the world's most advanced knowledge, building kind of platforms. I think that kind of, of bypass is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to rely less on the institutions and the mediators and more on the learners and equip learners to directly access uh, that kind of knowledge. I think the solutions are really on a, on a good track. Um, part of this is, you know, getting permission from governments to use those kinds of tools. Now that's sort of, you, you may have great kind of technological-based solutions for learning. Governments are still often reluctant uh, to deploy them, to use them, because that means losing the one monopoly that every country have. You know, it's a kind of domestic field of policy. We control what young people learn. But I think uh, time will get us there. I think uh, smartphone technology. Things we don't have time is my sense. Um, <laughs> the, no, I see. I see what you're saying. I, I suppose my question is that is OECD, OECD and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, mm. seeing this as a, um, a, a, a very much a, a red line issue or a priority issue given what the where the region is. When you think about, so when you think about Egypt and Morocco, uh, just as naming two in terms of energy. Um, and transmission of fuel and their strategic positioning, both in terms of security and geopolitics, one would think that actually there would be a marshalling of political leadership to think through the education implications. Yeah. And that, that's, that's my question, is it for the OECD, are you thinking in those terms? Is there, is there work being done in earnest to address this kind of infrastructure gap? I mean, you know, Egypt is a great example. You know, you have on the one hand uh, millions of university graduates who mm -hmm. can't find a job, but you have also 600,000 vacancies this year that employers couldn't fill because they couldn't find the people with the skills they need. And the Ministry of Education actually is aware of that, and actually the kind of top-level political leadership sees the urgency, is the institutions behind us, the sort of mm -hmm. thick layer of concrete that actually doesn't sort of... Below it. That's why I think you know we need to develop solutions, and I think Egypt is one of the countries where I think they they'll get there quicker because, you know, they don't have the oil, they don't have the money to wait. I think they feel the pinch much more, and I think the countries like Jordan, like Egypt, like Iran are much more optimistic about than countries like the UAE or Saudi Arabia mm. and others. I think the urgency is clearly there. You have people on the street who you know you, you ask for better education. And I think that's a good prerequisite. The solutions are there. I think the question is, you know, will those governments, are they ready to stand back and let technical solutions actually 
get into that space. I think that's the real question. But I think in the case of, of Egypt, I would be more optimistic that they mm. get that curve. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Okay, guys, I'm colleagues, it's uh, time's up. But it's, it's evident that, you know, there, there, there are models um, uh, that could be replicated. Uh, I suppose my only concern is that I think you'll find uh, multi multinational commercial interests entering the region if the governments don't get their acts yeah. together, unfortunately. And not all of it will be bad, but it will be led by China and the US, which I'm not making a political statement about. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that actually, if you don't think about that, that future, then you know, it's only the populations that will lose out, unfortunately. Anyway, thank you for your time. We have a, a coffee break now, and then we'll go back into the main room for uh, a conversation with. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs>